Now, do I have your full attention? Screw you. Hello to Yogi, hello to Boo Boo, hello to Scooby Doo, Barney and Bradford. Don't forget your goat leggings. Well, par me all over the place. the money and how did you get the woman? What is it? There's always magic at the movies. What's in the basket? Okay, all right, so I would like to clarify that one, my Will Hayes Turbo Virgin uh, remark was not meant as a slight to be a sexual community, merely the Puritans, and um, also that Will Hayes apparently did, in fact, have a child named Will Hayes Jr., and he was not, in fact, a Turbo Virgin. would like to clarify that now. Thank you. Because I saw Will Hayes Jr. in a newsreel, and I was like, oh, fuck. Man, that's like the most miserable kid ever. Can you imagine? He probably had to wear little shoes with buckles on them, which to me is like the worst thing I can possibly imagine, <laughs> having to wear shoes with little buckles on them, and you go to school, <laughs> and people are like, my mom says your dad's the reason why movies aren't sexy sexy anymore well jimmy stewart wore those when he was an adult so shoes with buckles on <laughs> if them. you if you told me that jimmy stewart was will hayes jr i wouldn't be surprised because he does kind of look a little bit like will hayes you know well and the whole plane painting model thing is a bit turbo virgin so yeah i mean and you know how i feel about henry fonda so i i don't think there was a whole lot of sexual activity going on in that house and whatever was happened in the dead of night in absolute silence and was never discussed that's why her hair is so big it's full of secrets hey, hey, hey. Um, what's well happening? kirk douglas died we don't have a lot to say about that but i guess we could maybe offer some congratulations to olivia to have for like winning the celebrity hunger games <laughs> <laughs> like she made it out she did it not that anyone remembers that she's still fucking alive yeah twitter was all like the last old hollywood star kirk douglas and it's like sorry meanwhile in paris <laughs> i know what do we have to say that's positive about kirk douglas i like that time that he was at the oscars and then he almost like hit that guy with his cane a couple years ago and they brought him on stage i enjoyed that and i Real, I I love Spartacus. He's like the fourth best thing about Spartacus. I was saying to Amelia the other day that it's fascinating to me the way he aged to essentially become one of those like <laughs> plastic surgery cat ladies because you don't see that a lot. I know he was really old, but most really old people don't age that way. He just got so puffy. He also he had such strong features to begin with because of like his chin. Yeah, that I think it's kind of um, kind of looks like looked like a Joan Rivers at the end. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strange, very odd. Most old people tend to regress back towards the mean in the same way that so many babies look identical you know <laughs> and so that's why old people who still have like really strong features i think are kind of wig out our, our alien brains a little bit you know our lizard brains are like associated that with like old people like the roundness that generic like grandma face that older people tend to get he also remained really thin too i don't know whatever kirk Douglas is dead <laughs> bye bye <laughs> You're a host, Bonds Mordor. Tell me you bane mr arden's second wife mm-hmm. he was a widower oh that's nice this poor vibe lost into airplane accident. My mother-in-law likes to chat. Yeah. He was thinking before. What if Mr. Arden's first wife didn't was dead? <laughs> what an idea. 
When I was a little girl in Sweden, I went once to the movies. And poor Cary Grant thought his first wife was dead, so he married another lady. But Irene Dunn, who was the first wife, she come back. Movies. When do movies ever reflect real life? Yeah. But suppose Mr. Arden's first wife was to come back, like Irene Dunn done. Did. Hello, welcome to What's in the Basket. I am Amelia and I'm joined by my co-host Candace. Hello. And Tiffany. Hello. And today we're talking about bigamy. <laughs> when are we not? When are, when we, are we, not? we not? Today we are talking about sort of another remake pair. Uh, the first movie is My Favorite Wife from 1940, followed by Move Over Darling from 1963, and they are essentially the same movie. They're both based on the 19th century Lord Tennyson poem Enoch Arden, which is a poem about a man who is shipwrecked, uh, returns home, finds that his wife has remarried, and then at the end of the poem, he kind of like just dies of like heartbreak <laughs> instead of revealing his identity. And so naturally, Hollywood in the 1940s and 60s took that and made it into a romantic comedy twice. Actually, four times. There are two other films too Many Husbands from 1940 as well. And then I don't have the year here, but there's also one with, uh, I didn't write it down. Oh, you mean three for the show? Betty Grable, Jack Lemmon? Yes, yes. And that was a musical yeah. remake of Too Many Husbands. I seem to recall three for the show being pretty bad. I've never seen it. But uh, for today, we are talking about the two versions where it's kind of gender inverse. It's the wife who goes missing, the wife who returns and finds that her husband is on the verge of remarrying. Or I guess he has. Has he, he has. both? Okay, he has. What efforts did you make to uh, trace the whereabouts of your wife? Now, page eight. I went to Bangkok and interviewed all available survivors who agreed that the said Ellen Wagstaff Arden had been swept, swept overboard, overboard before, before aid could reach her. Reach her. Deposition, Deposition That's quiet. Uh, yes, Your Honor, but I'd like to explain. There's nothing to explain. Nothing to explain at all. Testimonies here, sworn affidavits. No evidence to the contrary. The law is clear. I hereby pronounce Ellen Wagstaff Arden legally dead. Wasn't I supposed to marry somebody? Oh, yes, sir, us. What? What's that? Are you going to get married again? Yes, Your Honor. Are you quite sure you've had time to think it over? Your Honor, Mr. Arden is over 21. Not now, Bianca. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why they had to make this movie four times. Um, I don't know why Hollywood loves bigamy so much, but they really do. Because they're constantly committing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also just Hollywood doesn't like new ideas. Also because the, the idea that is present in both My Favorite Wife and Move Over Darling, in the which we'll get into, the circumstances upon which these women are shipwrecked is like an easy feminism win for the studios, you know? <laughs> uh, it gives you, you know, like the working woman, but it's okay because she ends up being punished for it because her husband thinks she's dead and marries a new woman who wants to mother her children. Well, I mean, not, not really because... In both of them, the woman seems pretty disinterested in raising the children. Fine, then her children are going to be mothered by another woman who's going to lock them in a trunk. She wants to murder her children. Because I don't know about you, but I look into Polly Bergen's eyes and I see those of a murderer. I mean, maybe they shouldn't have named one of the children Chinch if they didn't want it murdered. Yes. I, yeah, yeah, I think we need to get into these movies so we can raise <laughs> our grievances. Well, my favorite wife was basically an attempt to recreate the success of uh, the Awful Truth from 1937, which is a Leo McCary romantic comedy starring Cary Grant and Irene Dunn, who are the stars of this film. And I don't know if it really <laughs> quite reaches those heights. 
I don't think so. <laughs> no, I, I think a lot of the appeal of My Favorite Wife is seeing Cary Grant and Randolph Scott together on screen. And also, you know, reteaming Carrie and Irene Dunn. But for me, that's never been like one of my favorite pairings. So for me, the historical novelty, you know, is, is more important. Yeah, so it reteams Irene Dunn and Cary Grant. As the episode progresses, I think we'll make our feelings on Irene Dunn very clear. Um, but... I guess on some level the plot works, but I don't think that it... I just don't feel anything for them as a pairing. I just get really frustrated with Cary Grant in this movie. Every single decision he makes, he's just making the situation worse for himself. I know the whole point of a screwball comedy is like everything could be easily solved, but obviously isn't because no one takes the easy way out. But I just, this one more than ever, I could feel like if someone just talked about things, this would be solved quite easily. Yeah, I think it, again, fails to be as good as The Awful Truth. And I'm sure we can talk about The Awful Truth at some point in the future. It's just a subpar screwball plot, I think. It just doesn't really work well okay so in in my favorite wife and move over darling it's the... essentially the same movie it's like shot by shot <laughs> exactly <laughs> which i was um yeah i'm talking about because you know i feel about michael gordon who directed move over darling i'm not a fan but in my favorite wife and in move over darling the principal female character is um, a woman who has been shipwrecked for a number of years after going missing during an anthropological expedition uh, i think it's supposed to be somewhere generic like in the south pacific and in the meanwhile her husband has had her declared dead as of the morning that she reappears on american shore and he has remarried to a woman who is supposed to be kind of a vacuous social climber. She gets back into contact with her husband, puts him in a little bit of a bind because, you know, it turns out she's not really dead. He's committed bigamy and he's still in love with her. She's got children. Uh, the children know nothing of their mother. She doesn't tell them that she's their mother. And so she takes on like kind of like a guise so that she can get close to them without kind of giving them the shock of, of, of her coming back. She and her mother-in-law conspire to kind of get rid of the second wife and put her back in charge of the household and to, to win the husband over. And then at some point, just as she and her husband are about to kind of really fully reconnect, the man that she was shipwrecked on the island with reappears. And the husband gets jealous wacky hijinks ensue and then the movie ends with her and the husband reconciling and uh you know a happy family is reborn all that bullshit that we hate they they are not hard to follow um but back to my point before that i think that this film suffers most just at the end because I really don't understand the inclusion of the bit where Carrie Grant is dressed in the, the Santa Claus outfit. It, I mean, I understand that it's supposed to be a joke. I just, it drags. I'm like, cool, can we end this movie now? Like, well, again, it comes back to this attempt to totally recreate The Awful Truth because The Awful Truth ends in a very similar way with uh, Carrie kind of trying to scheme to get into Irene's room, right? And, you know, there's the whole bit with the cuckoo clock and the door keeps opening and the wind and this and that. And it works a lot better the awful truth than it does here here it just feels very drawn out and very awkward and doesn't make a lot of sense um yeah it doesn't feel earned at all. And there's a lot of play with innuendo in this movie. Uh, he, he brings Gail Patrick, of course, back to the same hotel in Yosemite. That's one thing I never thought of. Back to marrying again. Just how long did he wait? I only got married this morning. This morning? I went off in the car to Yosemite. Your honeymoon. 
Don't tell me he's taking her to the same hotel that we... Well, Mick had some business in San Francisco. <sighs> Ellen, what are you going to do? Where he'd taken Irene on their honeymoon. And, of course, she ends up following him there. And then there's this whole thing with the hotel clerk who can sense that there's something up. And, you know... Which is like, Carrie, literally any other hotel. Go somewhere else. All of this could have been avoided. <laughs> And it's just like, it's the whole thing. I find um, these postcode, like, winking at sex sequences to almost universally be very boring and unfunny. And this is not an exception. We run a first-class hotel, Mr. Arden. And we don't like to be made a party to an intrigue. We've maintained a reputation for respectability for 33 years. And we don't intend to lose it in one night. My reputation for respectability is just as high as your hotel's. And don't forget mine. It's a very simple situation, mister. Explain it to him, Nick. All right, I will. Now, I came up here with my wife. Uh, my bride, really. Now, my wife, and uh, not my bride, my, my wife. But well, why should I bore you with the details? I won't be bored. Listen. Now, it's as simple as A, B, C. Don't tell me you've got somebody in B. I'm just like, oh, just give him the room or kick him out or whatever. I don't give a fuck. I don't care who you think Cary Grant is smashing. I, I don't care. I want this to be over. I kind of want the whole movie to be over. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of my favorite wife. Also, the movie opens on a very inauspicious note, which is that the title cards are embroidered handkerchiefs. And like the amount of t I would have resented being asked to embroider all of that for a movie like this. Just saying. And I think what makes it less enjoyable for me is that I don't find Irene Dunn compelling at any capacity. I just don't think that she has the same kind of charm that a lot of other leading ladies in her heyday had. And I, I just, I don't see how she adds a lot um, to a picture. I mean, she's great in The Awful Truth, but I think that's more about how well that functions as a, functions as a complete movie rather than because of her presence. And here it's just, it's painfully clear that whatever was working in the, in the awful truth is just not functioning here mm -hmm. and that you know, it's not her that's elevating anything. I'm also of the opinion that Carrie really sinks or swims depending on his female lead. Uh, I do like Cary Grant, but for me, Cary Grant is always most enjoyable when he's working with an actress whom I really enjoy. Irene is really not one of them. You know, I would not do a bombing at her the same way I would with June Allison, but she's not somebody I would pick for my team, for my polo team. Should not be. Also, I, I'm going to say something else that is rude and mean. This is directed by Garson Kanan. I have always been of the opinion that Kanan, much like Preston Surges, is somebody who works best as a writer, not necessarily as a director. When you look at the movies that Garson Kanan directed versus the ones that he wrote and that then were kind of whittled down or restyled by a director, you get kind of a quality imbalance. This movie has the dragging sequences in the same way that Bachelor Mother sometimes drags. He made one other really weird movie I like is Tom, Dick, and Harry with Ginger Rogers and Burgess Meredith. And that movie, which is very funny, still has like long stretches of it including like unnecessary like dream sequences and stuff that you're just like okay all right we get it you know it's like theatrical whereas like the Kanan movies that he wrote are just like hit after hit after hit you know like more the merrier adam's rib pat and mike he doesn't have that same problem i think he tends to excess a little bit and 
I think that unfortunately, Carrie, and maybe Irene, but mostly Carrie is also a bit of a ham. Like Billy Wilder said about Jack Lemmon, when you got a ham, you got to trim the fat. Can I give you a fact that is uh, weirdly topical on this show at this point? It's become a strange running theme. This movie initially was intended to be directed again by Leo McCary, who had directed The Awful Truth. And Kanan was brought in because McCary was in a car accident right before <laughs> production started and was severely injured. Oh my god, I completely forgot about that oh my god we it was us we did it we did it to him <laughs> i mean like look at born yesterday kanan wrote born yesterday and you know the play the original incarnation of the play kanan's kind of not entirely involved in the movie and i think it is probably for the better you know i don't know i just i'm not he's just one of those people he's like sturgis to me it's like you know, he's got to be reeled in hitchcock the same way you know you got to have somebody saying no and no one was saying no strongly enough yeah yeah i i think we differ in that i do find Cary Grant so compelling in a, rom a romantic comedy that he's really the selling point in this for me where I, I am more willing to watch it because of him. I just find him very watchable, which is obviously not a very like brave stance for me to take. Like, oh, I like Cary Grant. <laughs> what is it, Jordan? I've got a warrant for your arrest. Arrest? You can't arrest me. What's the charge? Bigamy. <gasps> I would be very interested to see how this movie had turned out if Leo McCary had stayed on board. Yeah, I think it'd probably be better. Well, you see, you find Carrie watchable because you don't have bad taste in movies, which I do. So for me, if Fred McMurray's not involved, I'm not interested. <laughs> you also love... Has, yeah, you're not heterophobic like I am. Cary Grant's simply too straight for me. He projects too much straight energy, and I can't handle it. I find it very distasteful. You know what's also sad, very sad about this movie? The fact that... Irene is allegedly taking her first hot bath in years, but she doesn't wash her hair. Yeah, disgusting. Why is she just, like, just wash your hair? Surely that's the thing you most want to wash. I don't understand how people lived prior to... And I understand that back then, maybe, you know, shampoo wasn't as, it wasn't as stripping... And, you know, they had their oils on their scalps properly balanced, you know, but again, as somebody who has very white, very, you know, European <laughs> textured hair, you know, it's unfathomable to me that Irene Dunn, as somebody who is also a Caucasian, could go that long without any without without her hair you know what i mean it's not i i reject it i patently reject it i don't know how people like you know my grandmother and, and your grandmothers went you know a week between beauty parlor visits i don't get it it's unfathomable to me that's my stance that's my 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 stance i'm taking this episode in addition to thinking that Cary grant is a bad actor and that garson kanan shouldn't have directed the movie i think we should probably provide some context for what we're talking about when we talk about Cary grant and randolph scott so like we said the other man who Irene Dunn was on the island with for, I believe, seven years is played by the actor Randolph Scott. And the reason this is interesting historically is that Randolph Scott has long been rumored to have been Cary Grant's partner, romantic partner. Uh, they were roommates. And they were roommates. God, they were roommates. For many, many years, I believe. And there's a photo shoot that's pretty infamous that involves a lot of, like, frolicking in the pool and gazing at each other in front of a sunset. Which is kind of emulated in this movie. Yeah. When... Cary Grant first sees Randolph Scott at the pool doing his, you know, tricks. It's very, it's very no homo. No homo, bro, but good form. Good form, bro. Nice body, bro. It's interesting how Carrie responds to Randolph. It does feel kind of knowing, almost, and I 
don't imagine that was intentional because, of course, this is something that was um, meant to be kept on the download. But then you look at those pictures and it's like, what the fuck were they trying to project here? Like, I don't know. They're, it's a weird thing. And if I remember correctly, when Virginia Cheryl divorced Cary Grant, part of her argument for the alienation of affection was that he was spending too much time with, with Randy and that Randolph Scott would, no, would not move out of their marital right. home. And that is, you know, I've got a lot. I've got friends. You know, I've got a lot of friends because I'm a really popular person. <laughs> But uh, I, your, your bros might be tight, but I don't know how many bros are that tight to the point where their wife divorces them because the friend won't move out of the house. I mean, you say that, but that's only because we live in three different countries. Who knows? If we all lived in the same house, would you evict me and Todd if we lived with you? I think she would. We wouldn't evict her, but she would evict us. And what does that say, huh? That that Mal would have had me executed during the purge of the landlords <laughs> is what that says. <laughs> yeah, nah, I don't know. Maybe I would have. I don't know if I'd evict you guys. I would definitely evict Rita. <laughs> But you guys might be spared. Um, I, you know, and also we, we kind of alluded to this in the past, but there was kind of at this point in time in Hollywood, kind of a little bit of a culture of sexual fluidity. I think it's a bit of a historical distance that's hard for people to really rationalize um, because also a lot of the times when we think about people existing in this era and being of, of a certain kind of sexual leaning, it's taken very much in the few examples that we have, which tend to be people who that's part of their identity to them. When people talk about specifically in Hollywood at this time, you get kind of more examples of somebody like a like a Billy Haynes or a Lillian Tashman, where this is very much a part of who they are and how they live, you know, Patsy Kelly, I don't know, you know, it's it's a set part of their identity. But at the time, people, there was a lot of experimentation going on in, in Hollywood. I mean, again, I challenge anybody to read some of the telegrams between Gary Cooper and um, Andy Lawler. I find anybody, I challenge anybody to read those, like, telegrams between Gary Cooper and Andy Lawler and not be like, mm, that's not really how you talk to a bra, so... <laughs> You don't really talk to a bra like that, you know, <laughs> but it's just, it's kind of what was going on. I mean, again, I would love to be at any of George Cougar's poll parties because it was just, you know, I don't know what to tell people. I really don't know what to tell people when it comes to issues like this, because it's like, you know, there's the, to quote, you know, Frank and D, there are some cocks that can't be unsucked. And that's just <laughs> kind of how it goes. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's it's extremely naive of people to think an industry, especially a creative industry, where traditionally people are a little bit less on the straight and narrow, if you want to say that, to believe that everybody was straight. It's just not reflective of any form of reality. Yeah. And I mean, and you also have, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not the keeper of the keys here. So, you know, if somebody wants to, you know, challenge me on this, whatever, you know, I'm not, I'm not Look, going to. Look, we've already called you, we've already called you the G-A-Y gatekeeper. I am. Okay, that's true. I am the gatekeeper. Oh, Ori Kelly, you know, said that when he came out to Hollywood, Carrie, and Carrie, like, completely snubbed him because he and Carrie had been roommates. Oh my God, they were roommates back in Greenwich Village in the 20s. And Carrie, like, didn't want people knowing that, you know, at one point he ever lived, you know, with, with somebody who was openly gay like Ori Kelly. You know, and at one point it was Ori, Cary Grant, and Billy Haynes all bunking together. So, you know. What a fun house. So, you know, Cary Grant's the straightest man I ever knew, you know, personally, as somebody who was, was very close friends with Cary Grant. But <laughs> it reminds me of, I remember, okay, I had ordered a book 
on Westerns that had an essay written by Joel, by Joel McRae, just being upfront about that here. And the introduction to the section on Randall Scott had something from a writer who mentioned that one time he was hanging out with Randy and then Randy started to explain to him, and if I remember the phrasing, it was something like the true nature of his relationship with Cary Grant. And then this writer, rather than letting Randy explain himself, stopped him and was like, look, if I felt like you had any leaning whatsoever in this direction, I, as a heterosexual, would be jumping your bones right now. And Randy just kind of like laughed and then they dropped the subject. And I was like, you just did a major disservice to me, to everyone reading this book, to history in general. And I, I, that's disgusting. But yeah, things were very fluid at this point in time. And um, there are a lot of people who are around then who've said specific things about what they may or may not have seen or heard or witnessed. Yeah, I mean, take it up with them. Take it up with fucking Ori Kelly, okay? Take it up with Ori Kelly, who claims that Cary Grant didn't want people to know that he had been, you know, scuttle-buttoned around with the boys back in Greenwich Village, okay? Take it up with Ori Kelly. And I've seen the explanation that's like, oh, well, they're playing off the joke, but, I, uh, I mean, are they? Are they? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're playing off the joke. Um, the only joke that in this movie that can possibly be played off of that I would believe is the fact that, this is just a segue, that the kid, her name is Chinch. See you later. You too, okay. Chinch. Oh, Chinch did. Did you know Chinch got two gold stars from her music teacher? Oh, did you, Chinch? Uh-huh. Chinch got two gold stars from a music teacher. And that Carrie and Irene have a child named Chinch. What's that? That's a joke I would like to have explained. What's it short for? Chinchinati. Chinchilla. <laughs> I don't know. There, there are certain aspects of the movie that maybe it's like we need to go hot, hunt down like original draft of, of a script in like an archive at like USC or something. But uh, I'm just like kind of perplexed by some of the things of this movie. And I'm like, I feel like maybe someone was editing and they just went whoops and they sl- they cut it and they were like I don't want to bother having to glue these frames yeah. back in it's kind of how I feel about some of this like there a couple feet got lost and they were like you know what America the- these people are never going to notice I know that Randy is supposed to be kind of like a little bit of a self parody the-, the character that he plays is, is very like uh, image obsessed and uh, you know he's a vegetarian and he's very healthy whereas Randolph Scott was very much that like golden god archetype in Hollywood uh, does, uh, does turkey appeal to you or do you confine yourself to raw meat Never touch it. I am strictly a vegetarian. Bring me a glass of carrot juice, a milkshake, and some raw carrots. So I get it on that. I get it on that sense of playing into the joke. But I don't know if I really find that argument believable. I mean, we, we know that there are people, there are references that would go over most viewers' heads at the time that make it into these movies. But something like that, I, I don't know. I, I think it's something that's so taboo. That it's like, what, are you going to start inserting jokes about, like, you know, Judy Lewis being Loretta Young and Clark Gable's biological child? It's like, it's such a such a non, you know, it's such a problematic issue beyond the scope of kind of this, like, liberal Hollywood society that I find it very difficult to believe that that's something that would be imparted as, like, a, a, a knowing joke without it being, like, a, a really knowing joke, if you understand yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's strange. I'd like to... It calls for a few seances, I think. There are a few people I'd like to, like, grill on yeah. the subject because it's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Who's the first person that we would like to... Well, first I'd go for Garson Kanan because did Garson Kanan write this? I think he wrote this. What does chinch mean? Because I can't even... I Honestly, I can't think of a single name that would even... A single girl's name that would even sound vaguely like chinch. Like Francesca, ch- chinch, chinchilla. I like chinchinati. That one works for me. That's a good one. That's canon. That's canon. Her name's her name's chinchinati. There's, there's so many things in this movie. Oh, speaking of knowing jokes that I, I don't like, this whole thing that happens during the, like, 
arduously long honeymoon sequence where Gail Patrick just really, really, really wants Carrie to pound it, <laughs> you know? And it's like, come, Carrie, take my virginity, said Will Hayes never. It's, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't enjoy that sequence. I don't like it when she's constantly like, are you going to come to bed? And it's like, don't, don't do that to me. I don't want it. This movie's too gross. Just her eyebrows alone would be enough to scare anyone away, I think. They're very severe. Yeah, I gotta say, that's one of those um, one of those looks that just does, doesn't translate for me. That and the, the leopard dressing gown that she has, and she gets a matching one. You know, some things, some things we just can't, we just can't understand about the past. <laughs> and maybe it's best to just accept them. Just leave them there in the past. And I, would, for one, would like to leave this whole movie in the past. Well, on the subject of movies that started out one way and turned out very differently. The remake of My Favorite Wife is Move Over Darling from 1963. And that's a movie that started out very differently as well. If you are at all aware, listeners of Marilyn Monroe's Troubled End, you probably know about Something's Got to Give from 1962, her unfinished final movie. I used to come to see your mommy too. She drowned. Do you ever think about it? Once a year I do. Once a year I do too. Only once a year? We take flowers to church on our birthday with Danny. You put those flowers under that window? Which window? Doesn't she have a stained glass window there or something? Oh, that one. I think so. I forgot. Daddy said we're going to get a new mommy. He goes, really? Bianca! Do you like Bianca? Jimmy, come here. Why? I want to hug you. Me too! (laughs) You too, both of you. (laughs) And that's that's what uh, Move Over Darling was supposed to be. That's where it started. That was a remake of My Favorite Wife with Dean Martin in the Cary Grant role and Marilyn in the Irene Dunn role. But of course, um, in true Marilyn fashion, she was very troubled throughout production and was fired at one point, then brought back and then, well, died. So they had to go back to the drawing board completely. And what came out was Move Over Darling. So that's our second film today. And how do we feel about that one? Well, Doris Day infinitely more likable than Irene Dunn. Definitely plays a role with a lot more warmth and charm than Irene Dunn did, which is probably the most enjoyable thing about this movie is that just Doris's presence is really makes it a lot more watchable for me. The fact that they make her sing, I resent it. Our lips shouldn't touch Move over, darling I like it too much Move over, darling That gleam in your eyes Is no big surprise anymore Cause you fooled me before I'm all in a spin Move over, darling Sing you a song of a toy Sailing far across the moon Go to sleep and very soon You'll be like that toy balloon Like, just let her, let her not do that. Definitely a Doris in the role. A lot more believable that she would, well, A be stranded on a deserted island 
and B, survive that long, something just tells me Irene Dunn wouldn't survive that long on a deserted island, even if she did have Randolph Scott with her. Also, she looks like she's been on an island. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Irene Dunn pulls up off that turnip truck wearing, like, men's clothing with, like, a full face of makeup on, you know? I was like, oh, so you had had your mascara on the island? You had your cake mascara with you? Yeah, Randy had some. Randy (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Chuck Connors is a bit of a downgrade from Randy. We like Chuck Connors in Tourist Trap, the movie where he's he can move he can make people into mannequins who he can control with his mind you like that chuck connors every year hundreds of young people travel the country and disappear god help those who get caught in the tourist trap <laughs> tourist trap where beautiful young people looking for excitement are tricked But yeah, I'd say that is the one thing that this film has going for it. Every other thing, the fact that it's almost shot for shot remake. I mean, Thelma Ritter is a lot more engaging as the mother-in-law. Again, just like in Pillow Talk, it's nice to see Doris and Thelma's interactions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of questionable choices in this, though. Like when in the first one, Irene Dunn poses as a, a long lost relative from the South and has this atrocious southern accent that she puts on. Do you know any pieces when you were little? Yes, I used to know a few. Let's see, um... Oh, here's one. Um, in old Kentuck, where I was born, there ain't no yanks and there ain't no corn. But the gals and the horses can't be beat to live down south is show a treat. How come you talk like that? Didn't you all ever hear about talk like that before? Uh, no. Did it take you very long to learn it? No. Everybody talks like that down where I come from. Uh, Whereas in this one, Doris pretends to be, is she Swedish? A Swedish masseuse? Well, don't you worry, son. We'll take care of you. Oh, I'll take care of him. No. Ava be the one to take care. Who's that? Uh, That's Miss Swenson. Uh, She's Swedish. Uh, Swenson? Uh, The nurse I engaged for you. Yeah, my name is Greta Svensson. It's Swedish name. You must call me Greta. Which just makes no sense. It does open up, though, the opportunity for a scene in which Doris just beats the shit out of Polly Bergen under the guise of uh, massaging her, which I kind of enjoy. It's always fun to watch Doris beat the shit out of someone, I mean. Well, I couldn't care less. Mr. Arden's mine now. She just had to go back to where she came from. Oh, she fought! I made a note while watching that because the remake relies more on Doris's narrative and the original relies more on Carrie's narrative that since Ellen as a character, the, the, the main character is like the linchpin, linchpin, Jesus Christ, the linchpin of the plot, <laughs> Move Over Darling has a better flow. 
the flow is superior because it makes sense that we are with sticking with Doris's perspective for most of the movie. Whereas Ellen sets the whole plot in motion in My Favorite Wife, but for some reason we are not viewing it from her perspective because it's all seen through Carrie's eyes. And for me, that doesn't, it doesn't entirely work. I think Move Over Darling kind of resituates it into something where the it has a more natural kind of uh, narrative dynamic. And there. I wonder how much of that is a consequence of casting because Doris is kind of the Carrie of this movie. She's the, you know, more charismatic, comedic presence. And so it's natural that she would be the lead. Whereas it's, you know, natural that Carrie would be the lead in My Favorite Wife, but the script doesn't serve that in any way, really. And this is also directed by Michael Gordon, who made Pillow Talk. So he also already has kind of like an affinity for directing Doris and knowing how and, and where she's most effective. Not that Michael Gordon was a particularly good director. I still think he's a bit of a hack. And um, that his movies were largely driven probably by other people. Particularly, I think he owes his visual stylings to Ross Hunter, who was the producer of Pillow Talk. Not that that's entirely relevant here, but again, it's a shot-for-shot remake. That doesn't take a lot of intellect to direct. And Doris is, a, is a, again, is a self-sufficient act. I mean, okay, well, may, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, I think that when we watch Doris, she's so natural that sometimes it's hard to remember that she did have a little bit of an insecurity as a performer. So I can see that she might have required a little bit of uh, caressing, as it were, um, that maybe Michael Gordon had a had a hand in. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. But I think that, weirdly enough, even though, again, it's a shot-for-shot remake, somehow he still nails different parts of it that Garson Kanan didn't nail. But again, there's no weird Santa shit. So big one up on that. We also have uh, James Garner in the Carrie role, which I guess we should address. We haven't even mentioned him. And Candace is a bit of a James Garner defense squad in the way that I was with Carrie. I am. I love Garner. <laughs> oh, you poor dear boy. Oh, Mom, will you tell her Ellen's mom? My wife. Who is this Ellen? She's my wife, stupid. His first wife. She's dead. And that woman? That's the nurse I told you about. A nurse from the Busy Bee car wash? She is not a nurse. These are her clothes. She is Ellen Wagstaff Arden, my wife. Stupid. He's one of my favorites. He's one of my favorite movie stars of the 60s. And I think part of that is also because I definitely, more so than you guys, enjoy that era of filmmaking towards the end of the studio system into the 1970s. I think that's much more my my province than it is yours. And um, for me, Garner is a really good example of the kind of star that they were producing at the time to bridge over the gap between the new and the old Hollywood. He's got that kind of Kim Novak thing for me, where I think he he works well in straddling both worlds. And I also, again, but again, I'm also an American, so I also had exposure to a lot of American television, and Rockford is on TV all the time. <laughs> so, you know, he's, Rockford is kind of like imagining trying people trying to grasp Angela Lansbury without ever seeing murder she wrote or something like it doesn't you're missing a whole essential part of, of the screen persona or like what i imagine it's like when amelia sees movies with lucille ball and them having never seen i love lucy it's like but you're missing a big part of it but whatever anyway i love garner he's an icon he's a cultural icon and like i said he makes homelessness sexy which i think is a very <laughs> important political stance for this era that we're in because in rockford he lives in a trailer on the beach that is repeatedly attempted to be you know they try to evict him from several times because it's considered an eyesore so yeah i've never seen the show it's a really good show rockford for me garner has that same he's got that same carol burnett thing where it's like you look at it and you're marveling at how smooth and easy it is he's a real natural in front of the camera i think we should maybe i should have to punish you guys with watching some some james garner movies but we're not going to watch the notebook though we're not doing that one it's not like a punishment i don't dislike james garner i'm just not as familiar yeah i wasn't wowed by his performance in this one 
you know and the thing the thing okay the thing that i don't think functioned as well in this one is that if you're the widower of doris day how do you move on from that that's kind of just like that's your life now you don't get to just move on you become like a war widow who never remarries that's kind of your life from that point so that was very unbelievable for me but yeah it's not like i disliked him actively i just you know he was a bit meh for me. Well, I love meh more than I love anything else, as evidenced by my years-long love affair with Joel McRae. <laughs> so meh, yeah. it's kind of it's kind you of where I feel the most mediocrity. comfortable. I love mediocrity. What can I say? I think this movie works in, in some ways that my favorite wife does it, just because like they thought about things, some things like Polly Bergen as a character is much more annoying than gail patrick is in my favorite wife so you kind of you understand doris's antipathy towards her um the Polly bergen character is like she's like neurotic she's always bringing up like psychoanalysis psychoanalysis um she's like like kind of a hypochondriac like she just would not be a fun person to be around whereas much of irene's vendetta against gail patrick is that like you know she wants to boink carrie like she's taken my place whereas i wouldn't you wouldn't want to hang out with polly bergen at all you you would you would want to eradicate polly bergen much the way that doris does through violence <laughs> you would want to get violent with her doris is very violent in this. doris kind of approaches this movie as like kind of like a john wick kind of thing <laughs> like whereas my favorite wife doesn't really have that and my favorite wife because it's a studio era movie like you know very much that they're always gonna end up together like there's nothing so you're kind of just waiting for the conclusion whereas in this one it's like doris is kind of going off the rail a little bit she might snap polly bergen's neck when she's pretending to be the swedish masseuse doris wants to do a bombing on polly bergen she does. <laughs> she does also one thing that is fucked up about this movie though that is not present in my favorite wife is that in this one both garner and doris were on the anthropological expedition that went down right whereas in my favorite wife she's depicted as being kind of more of like a career woman like this is right after she has her twins i think they are and then she's going back to work as a photographer and carrie's you know is like it's fine it's you know that's part of the package that i married whereas in move over darling it's kind of like it's got kind of that that more i weirdly enough like regressive 60s feeling to it where it's like she can she can break that glass ceiling but only a little bit only a tad she may crack it as a treat she can have a little bit of feminism yeah as a treat exactly and also like in this one it specifies that like in my favorite wife um she and randolph scott both get on the lifeboat or, or they both fall off the lifeboat whatever happens i don't remember whereas in this one it specified that garner got into the men's lifeboat and doris got into the women's lifeboat and then you know he never saw her again so it's like did all the other women in that lifeboat drown <laughs> i mean that's what we're meant to think because irene gets swept overboard i think whereas it's like i don't think we get that clarification with doris so it's like you know did she did she outlive all the other women on that maybe island she killed them did she and chuck connors eat them did they eat them yeah maybe she eat them but like in this one we do get like the little fantasy garner's fantasy of what they were doing on that island which i feel like he he's never seen an island before it looks like the flintstones i love it like there's big pink plastic palm trees and like Doris has these ridiculous like the live action Flintstones style hair going on. We've also got some young Don Knotts in this. Yes we do. I'd almost forgotten about that. That's a good that's a good point. Uh, Eve said you had some questions to ask me Nick. Well uh, let me see uh... <laughs> what kind of an island was it? Kind. Uh, uh, well I'd say it was uh an ordinary island. 
wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, small? Well, not small. Not large. Uh, medium. 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 Uh, jungle? Jungle. Well, you, you know, trees, vines. Uh... <laughs> oh, trees. Oh. <laughs> oh, golly, yeah, trees. And no vines? Oh, uh, the vines, yeah. Around the trees. <laughs> uh, water? Oh, yeah, water. Uh, around the island. <laughs> uh, where'd you live? trees we lived lived in trees i you know how i feel about don knots i'm a big don knots enthusiast my controversial opinions in this episode irene dunn bad don knots good don knots should have been in love affair with charles boyer <laughs> can you imagine boyer is like playing the piano or whatever he does in love affair and he's like gazing longingly across the baby grand when he's at maria ospenskaya's like weird you know ruritanian estate because i don't think we ever specified where the fuck in europe we're supposed to be you know and, he's, and then it's just the end of it it's just don knots looking back maybe he's got a flower in his hair <laughs> Any, any comments? Would anyone like to add any visuals to this moment? Because I think it's really powerful. Maybe he's got like uh, a little bit of like, uh, you know, like a, a one of those black shawls that Maria Ospenskaya was contractually obligated to wear in every single movie. Remember when she got hit by the car in um, Dance Girl Dance? <laughs> <laughs> I would like anyone who's never seen the movie Dance Girl Dance with Maureen O'Hara and Lucille Ball to see if on YouTube there's the bit where you get to see Maria Ospenskaya, who's playing their dance teacher, get hit by a car because it's the single worst simulated car crash I have ever seen on film. And this includes... Oh, the Alan Ladd Great Gatsby. I am not... I, it's worse than Shelley Winters getting hit in Great Gatsby. It's actually worse. <laughs> like, I saw this... I once saw this in an art history class I was taking... And we were, it was a, uh, a theater full of like a thousand people. And when that old bitch got in by that car, <laughs> everyone laughed. It's excruciating. Anyway, Maria Ospenskaya, old people getting hit by cars, shawls, Don Knotts. Welcome to my twisted mind. Your imagination garden. I think after however long we've been doing this podcast, I think everyone's intimately acquainted with how your mind works. Not every podcast talks about Don Knotts as a sexy, strong, leading lady of the 1930s, okay? The costume design in this is better, so that's something. Yeah, it sort of reflects the more, the wacky, wackiness of the script and that the costumes are also quite wacky. And I don't think it really ever takes itself that seriously, which is kind of what you need for a script like this. You kind of got to lean in yeah. if you've got a script like this. Also, um, while we were watching, I did realize that the the hotel that they're staying at, the set, when because there's a scene where there's the two balconies next to one another and Doris can hear Ghana absolutely not doing what he said he was going to do and just tell her straight up that his dead wife has returned. It's the same set from Thrill of a Romance, the Esther Williams Van Johnson feature. He's always with us. Always with us. And it's exactly the same set. Hadn't changed it in 20 years. So there you go. I wonder what hotel that really was. I think it was a soundstage. Why would they keep a soundstage standing for 20 years? Because they would have used it for other shit. I'm sure it was generic enough to be used in whatever. Now I'm rethinking my whole life. What else happens on that balcony? I wonder what other great scenes were played out on that balcony. I think the only question left is now who would you commit a bigamy with? Does it have to be from the cast of these movies? I mean, it would be funnier, but, you know. I mean, I think I'm just going to commit a bigamy with Doris and Don Knotts because I think that would be like a fun squad to have. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That wouldn't even be a bigamy because they couldn't even blame you in court. They'd be like, <laughs> 
it's more of like a bro setup well okay then okay speaking of bros i could do a big and me with carrie and randy because then they could be involved together and i wouldn't have to take part in this you can just spend their money you just you just yeah leech off their wealth we can all <laughs> hang out at the pool i've always wanted to have a pool party with my closest buds with my bras and since i can't have you two here to have a pool party with i'm gonna have to substitute carrie grant and randolph scott would you evict them i would if i was virginia cheryl i yes in fact evict them <laughs> i can't believe that i can't believe that people are like they're just it's a deep bond they have as like i'm like to the extent where one of you needs to get divorced because the other one won't leave i i query that yeah i reject that concept amelia who would you do a bigamy with maybe doris day and thelma ritter seems like a good time yeah just like i don't know what we do look after all of doris's dogs probably <laughs> well that's another one in the basket jesus christ because my dad listens now he literally anytime He's like, oh, what's in the basket? He's our most loyal listener. He is. Well, we hope that a week in the past, Doris still got the final slot in the Oscars in memoriam. We doubt that she did, but uh, she gets the final slot in the in memoriam in our hearts. So that's what really matters. Yep. So true. That's what matters. And we hope that everyone we don't want to win an Oscar doesn't win an Oscar. This is just like affirmation. I'm gunning for Adam Driver specifically. Adam Driver, if you're listening... I don't want you to win an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, sucks to suck, bitch. You didn't win an Oscar. Um, and if you did, you give it back. You give it back. <laughs> I formally request that you cede your Oscar to Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. I haven't seen Uncut Gems, but I think it'd be funny if Adam Sandler won an Oscar. It's probably better than Marriage Story. I haven't seen either of them, but I'm just going to say. Go out on a That's lid. That's so true. The, the goofy mickey or whatever uh marriage story edit did you guys see that they dubbed over that scene that went viral where he and uh scarlett johansson are arguing and it's like a goofy voice so it's like i think it's supposed to be goofy and mickey goofy and donald i can't remember anyway i think it's goofy and mickey arguing and um i would rather see that movie even though i must clarify goofy and mickey are just bros <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing untoward going down there. Okay, well, I guess we should leave it there. As always, uh, please rate and review us wherever you listen to these podcasts. Um, you can find us on our social media at BasketPod on Twitter and Instagram. And what's our email? It's BasketCast at gmail.com. Uh, you can send us something there if you so wish. No pictures of doodles, though. That's not appreciated. No pictures of doodles. So, ghosts of... Carrie and Randy, keep it yourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's it, I guess. Okay, go do a bigamy today. Don't do a bombing, do a bigamy. Bigamy, not bombs. That's our slogan. That's our slogan. That's the title of our of our charitable organization that we're going to end up in prison for tax fraud over. Yeah, we need to clarify, do a bigamy unless you're Warren Jeffs. Then... <laughs> <laughs> then it's not okay. I mean, it's not okay ever, but it's especially not okay then. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>
clicking you can hear. That's his tail hitting all the wires from my mic. He loves it. <laughs> he loves to interfere. He loves to interfere with our audio quality. It makes him happy. Well, the dogs have been on the pod. It's Gull's turn now. 